1: Just a couple of weeks ago that uh, John Kerry was very concerned about uh, Russia invading Ukraine because, of course, um, that could take the uh, eye off every the uh, uh, everybody's eyes off the ball. And that's with respect to climate change.
2: I'm very concerned about I'm concerned about Ukraine because of the people of Ukraine and because of the principles that are at risk.
1: But mostly uh,
2: of international law and trying to change boundaries of international law by force. Uh, I thought we lived in a world that had said no to that kind of activity. And I hope diplomacy will win. But massive uh, emissions consequences to the war. But equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big country attention because they will be diverted. And and uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. So. You know, I think hopefully President Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66 percent of a nation that was over frozen land. Now it's thawing and his infrastructure is at risk and the people of Russia are at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate.
1: Yeah. Don't mind the two what five million refugees who lost their homes and... Loved ones. Okay. Well, yeah. You know, the focus on the climate change. He's certainly right. I mean, the main thing to think about with the uh, 800-odd Russian missiles that have impacted Ukrainian buildings and blown people up is the emissions. Emissions from those missiles. You know, but it's nice that John Kerry is still extending okay. that olive branch yeah. uh, to Putin to be a partner in climate change because he's a serious person. Um, on the good news front, though, for these... Uh, eco-terrorists the, who we assign titles of Russian royalty, ironically, the Greens are John Kerry. On the good news front, this has provided uh, the uh, apocalyptic environmental crowd the opportunity to uh, tout getting off of fossil fuels and getting into a Tesla the future of transportation is electric. Gas
0: prices have hit a new record
1: high in America and expected to
0: keep rising. We need to make sure that it becomes relatively more attractive to have an electric vehicle instead of a gas but You vehicle. want gas prices to go up and oil prices to you go You need it to reflect to the
3: true cost of carbon.
0: Number one, no more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends.
1: record high gas prices the national average now at four dollars and 29 cents a gallon a 60 cent hike in just one week the president is really focused on making sure that people are not hurt of the pump several around la that are more than six bucks a gallon if you drive an electric car this would not be affecting you clearly there's no sound or fumes. how many
0: barrels of oil does the u.s consume per day i don't have that number in
1: front of me so how do i know it's actually working
0: what is the
2: granholm plan to increase oil production in america <laughs>
0: Oh my god, that is hilarious perhaps if you let the market work in this respect people will feel pain they'll take a second look at that ford f450 gigantoid truck they'll reconsider a tesla i'm willing to pay four dollars a gallon hell i'll pay fifteen dollars a gallon because I drive a Tesla.
1: I have a Chevy Bolt, that is my car. I lease a Bolt and I lease solar panels. So I drive on Sunshine Girl. We're Record-breaking
0: at prices at the pump nationwide. One of my favorite topics, electric school buses. Electric school buses, school buses that have big batteries underneath it.
1: Yes, we are very excited about electric school buses. Yeah, some prices are as high as seven a gallon. You usually can smell it and, and you can the guzzling sound people from rural
3: to suburban to urban communities can all benefit from the gas savings of driving an ev
1: yeah boy how about uh, joe biden campaign joe biden versus president joe biden now campaign joe biden was eliminate the oil and gas industries basically now it's we're trying to do everything we can to keep the price of uh, the price at the pump down uh, the guzzling sounds coming from kamala and Mayor Pete and Jennifer Granholm. The whole team, really quite something to behold, isn't it? For more on the topic, we're pleased to be joined by Bjorn Lumberg, president of the Copenhagen Consensus Center, that's a think tank, author of False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. Bjorn, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it.
3: Hey, Dan. It's great to be here.
1: You know, um, with all this emphasis on electric school buses and uh, uh, everybody buying a Tesla or a Chevy Volt or what have you. I, I was having a conversation with a former CFO of Borg Warner, which is a huge automotive supplier, as you know, the other day. And he said, You know what's interesting about this whole discussion is um, uh, the next generation beyond uh, fossil fuel powered cars wasn't electric battery, it was the hydrogen fuel cell. That's what we were working on. But of course, when policymakers direct subsidies in a particular direction, then that's where cor- corporate America goes, where the money is, where we're getting uh, you know help financially to develop and to market and to sell, and so that's where all the, if you pardon the pun, energy went. But it was actually if you were thinking about long term and something that's a sort of a a viable and impactful and sensible next generation automobile whenever that whenever it hit those marks, it was actually the um, uh, the the hydrogen fuel cell cars powered by hydrogen and rather than drawing on electricity only for a battery, it produces electricity
3: yeah so uh, so Dan that's a very good point, and it un- underscores the the fundamental problem of trying to decide what is the future way before uh, we actually can see that in the market look. Electric cars are great, you know, if you've ever driven a Tesla, it's it's a fun car to drive. Yeah. And and for some people, it's a great idea. Uh now there's a huge conversation and I'm not going to be able to tell you who's right that maybe uh hydrogen is a better opportunity in the future than than electric cars, but the reality is neither of those cars are the best opportunity right now. And we know that because you actually have to bribe people in order to get them to buy a substantial amount of electric cars. Uh, Remember in Norway, which is the country that has the most electric cars, it almost sells 80 to 90% of its new cars uh, are electric. That's basically because the government supports it so much that the actual cost is near zero for electric cars. So you basically have to say, do I wanna pay almost nothing or do I wanna buy a new gasoline car? And not surprisingly, most people will then say, I'll go with nothing. But of course, that's not a way that most countries can afford to get most people to buy their car. Norway's still just at about 10% uh, electric cars and they're already starting to wonder, can we actually afford this? When nobody's paying for the roads, when nobody's paying for anything, you can't subsidize your way to the future. The only way you can do that that is by making innovation such that, for instance, electric cars become so cheap, people will want to buy them instead of a gasoline car.
1: So in the immediacy now with the the more pressing issues of uh, energy prices in the West, uh, your suggestions for Europe and for America, for that matter, for weaning themselves off of Russian oil and gas.
3: Well, fundamentally, the reason we need Russian gas in Europe is because we've relied so much on solar and wind. What do you then do when the sun isn't shining and the wind is not blowing? You need firm backup power, and that typically comes from gas. If you want to be energy independent, you have to get your own gas or buy it from the U.S., We should learn from the U.S. You've basically gone energy independent by fracking. We should do the same thing. Remember, if we could build our own gas infrastructure in Europe, we wouldn't be dependent on Russian uh, gas. And that, of course, is one of the reasons why Putin has probably been subsidizing quite a bit of the anti-fracking movement in Europe, because he certainly didn't want us to start fracking. He would much rather have us keep spending money on his regime.
1: But the U.S. is what, 8% of our oil supplies comes from Russia? Mm, yeah. It, so that said, you know, the fact that we're you know, not buying Russian oil, that is not the reason for these gas prices skyrocketing, is it?
3: Well, it's the, it's the point that everybody's very worried, uh, as, as you've also seen, gas prices have just gone down the last couple of days. Sorry, uh, oil prices have just gone down. But it's still very high, and everybody's very worried what's going to happen The point, though, is if you want to look just a little further out, you need to have that energy independence. The U.S. can expect a lot of its frackers to go back to work and actually produce much more gas and oil, and that will drive down the price. Now, admittedly, you need an administration that don't just say, look, we love you for the next three months and then we're going to dislove you again. Uh, You actually need to believe that they will want to keep investing in uh, in fracking but if you have that ability you can uh, drive down the price. We need to have the same in Europe and I think in general what we have learned from this is you can't just keep arguing, oh renewables is going to fix the whole thing. Renewables can be part of the solution but fundamentally as long as we haven't solved storage we're still in the position where we where we need to back up whenever the sun is not shining and the wind is not blowing and you also need to remember Sun and wind and electricity in general only makes about a, a fifth of our total energy use. What are you going to keep for heating? What are you going to do for industrial processes? All these other things, you still need mostly fossil fuels.
1: And, and included in the mix, and it's being ramped up in France, uh, is nuclear. Uh, Michael Schellenberger, environmentalist, was touting that as well. In, in this country, the Sierra Club has the Sierra Club has long been. Uh, a organization that endorses nuclear as a a safe and clean energy source. But, you know, because of, you know, the uh, the the Chernobyl and the Love Canal in our sort of uh, in the back of our minds, some of the hysteria around nuclear power, um, you haven't seen nuclear reactors, uh, energy reactors built in the West very much in recent times. And this seems to be a mistake.
3: Yes. So absolutely. Again, Dan, existing we need to separate the two existing nuclear power plants are incredibly cheap remember you've already built them which was the most costly thing you've also commissioned to uh, uh, commit to eventually decommissioning them so while they're running they're incredibly cheap so of course you shouldn't dump existing nuclear power plants as unfortunately germany has done as has also uh, been done with indian point and in, and in, in, uh, in new york and in, uh, diablo canyon and 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 in uh, california having Existing nuclear power plants and shutting them down is just dumb. There's an other consideration of whether you should build new nuclear power plants because, unfortunately, they're pretty expensive right now. Uh, so the new ones that has been built, for instance, in in Finland and France and uh, and in in England, have turned out to be very costly, and that drives up electricity prices way above what most people would be willing to pay. And that's where the promise of more innovation, essentially the, the new fourth generation nuclear power plants could be very alluring. So Bill Gates and many others have been investing in these much more modularized and much more industrially produced uh, power plants. They promise very cheap energy. Now, again, there's been a lot of promises in the past that haven't come to pass. So we want to you know see this actually happening. But again, we should be investing a lot more in energy R&D. Because if we can deliver cre- clean and cheap and reliable energy in the future, that would be amazing. But we can only do so if we focus on innovation.
1: When we're looking at right now, again, in real time with the, the supply issue with respect to oil, um, what's your reaction to Elizabeth Warren, Senator from Massachusetts, proposing a windfall profits tax on oil companies? Because I guess she believes that they're withholding production to drive up the price so that they can uh, expand the profits that they make on the oil they do produce.
3: It, it's hard to exactly tell why, it, in the first place, she would be arguing that that they have a windfall. Look, I mean, uh, they've also suffered through some really low prices as well. Uh, and, and the reality, of course, is you are only going to get a lot of oil production if you not only have the prospect of sometimes having to suffer through low prices, but also sometimes actually get. The really high prices. Again, we should be focusing a lot more instead of just making these punitive uh, uh, policies. We should be focusing on making the innovation. I would love to see uh, Elizabeth and others uh, to suggest the US should step up and increase spending on innovation. This should be across the board, certainly on nuclear, also on fusion. You know, this alluring ideal that we could actually recreate the sun in our labs that would be an amazing opportunity to create energy. We should also be looking at batteries and solar and wind and you know, storage and, and, and second generation biofuels. There are a lot of different opportunities, but common to all of them is right now they're not cost effective. Innovation could make them cost effective, but we need to be realistic. Right now, most of the world is run of fossil fuels and wishful thinking doesn't make that go away. It is only innovation that can achieve that.
1: And um, the left's continuing prosecution of the case for net zero. (laughs) Net zero is one of these amazing things. You know, people will talk about that. Biden and
3: many others will say, oh, we should be doing net zero. But nobody tells you what the price is going to be. So I don't know if you saw uh, a month ago, I think uh, McKinsey came out with a new study that showed this would cost 9.2 9.2 trillion dollars per year for the next 30 years. Now, remember, we've become pretty inured to uh, to talking about trillions of dollars, but that's actually a lot of money. That's 7.5 percent of the entire global GDP every year for the next 30 years. There's no way we can afford that. That would drive up prices everywhere, and also in the U.S. quite dramatically. You know, the net zero cost for every taxpayer in the U.S. could be somewhere between five and 11 thousand dollars per person per year. There's just no way people are going to be willing to pay that. And of course, that's why not only is it a bad idea, but it's also unsustainable. You're basically going to get people to vote out of office, the politicians who suggest these kinds of approaches. That's why we're never going to do net zero or any of these other very, very wild policy proposals by forcing people to pay way more than they're willing to. We're only going to do this if we get the innovation such that for instance, nuclear, becomes so cheap, everyone wants to buy it.
1: He is Bjorn Lumberg, president of the Copenhagen Consensus Center, think tank, also the author of False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor and Fails to Fix the Planet. Bjorn Lundberg, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Great to talk to you.